All right, let's go, everyone. Welcome back to the Wobcast 2.0. It's episode 11. It's Wobby. It's Giles. It's a Texas-sized wake-up call for the Minnesota Vikings. A 40-3 to drubbing at U.S. Bank Stadium by the Dallas Cowboys over the Minnesota Vikings creates a sobering Monday morning for us all. Welcome back into the Wobcast 2.0, everyone. Giles, Monday... Your favorite day of the week, my man. But even you might have a little bit of a dark cloud hanging over your Monday after that one. That was that was tough. Woof. That was a yeah. shellacking. That was tough. I mean, penalties, pressures, and drops, oh my. Like that yeah. uh had a whole concoction of of issues, some of which can be fixed, some of them cannot. Uh, we'll chat about uh, all those different things, but definitely an eye-opening experience yeah. uh, transitioning from the Buffalo Bills into the Cowboys. Not yeah. what we were looking to see. Yeah, we are guest-free for the Wobcast 2.0 today, and we are Chase Conradie-free, unfortunately. So it'll be just Giles and I talking you guys through this latest Vikings performance, which was not a great one. We'll talk about some individual performances that left a little to be desired where the Vikings sit overall in the NFC and what to expect on Thursday night on this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. But Chase, let's begin um, with a more um, intangible or maybe uh, theoretical discussion about, about this game, uh, if you will, before we get into the nuts and bolts and the breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel that you know, my opinion, as I just sit and watch the league guys from now, from the outside, um, not being, you know, inside the ropes, I don't think that this performance decreased my opinion of the Vikings and where they are. I truly don't think that what I think has happened is, and I've been alluding or we've been alluding to this and I've been saying it that, Throughout the course of this season, the Vikings, I mean, they're undefeated in one score games. Mm -hmm. Detroit had, you know, Detroit did the old snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, right? I think the Vikings were almost beat against the Saints. I think the Redskins had them beat. So you are what your record says you are. The Vikings were eight and one, and the Vikings are a really good team. Mm -hmm. But I think the stat was they were had the second worst point differential of any eight and one team in NFL history. And mm-hmm. that's indicative of how they, they've been playing. And I think we've also talked about like through eight games, I said there have been 16 halves of football. And I think the Vikings have only played three or four really good halves, but they're mm-hmm. eight and one. Okay. So, or they were seven and one at that time. So I guess the point I'm making is the Vikings are a really good team. And they're going to win the NFC North and they're going to host a playoff game and they might win that playoff game, but they're not the type of eight and one team that the 1998 Vikings were. Um, They're not a juggernaut who's playing so well. They, they can barely be beat. They did a great job of winning some close games of coming from behind. And I think what we saw was some of the chinks in the armor that the Vikings have. We saw a team execute on those and expose them then it, you know, it kind of went downhill after a while, but point being the Vikings are still a really good team. They're still going to win the division. You cannot throw this game out and forget about it. You have to learn from it, but I don't go into this game thinking they're the best team in the NFL. And now I think they're the 16th best team in the NFL. They're right about where I thought they were. I just yeah. think that a lot of other people sort of are getting a wake up call after watching that game. You follow what I'm saying there? How do you feel about it? I definitely understand what you're saying. And I agree with most of it. Uh, I think, 
there's no such thing as a perfect team in the NFL. Uh, yeah. With a salary cap league, no team will ever be without faults. Uh, and I think we have a pretty good, if not above average team with yep. a few elite players at the right positions that have allowed us to compete in the way that we have, where, like you mentioned, we haven't necessarily completed a full game uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a beautiful way, uh, so to speak, uh, where we've gotten behind in pretty much every game that we've played in. And then we've been able to leverage those elite strengths to be able to get back to us. And I think one of those is Christian Derrissaw. Um, yeah. I was talking with someone right before the game and I said, if Christian Derrissaw doesn't play, we lose this game. Uh, not only because I think he's a linchpin of our entire team, not even just our offense, uh, but also against the Cowboys with one of the best defenses in the league. That's going to be very, very difficult. And if you understand offensive line play specifically, it's all a game of weakest links, right? Where uh, you try to shift things over and cover up your your weaknesses. And we were able to leave Darius on an island and then use the rest of the offensive line to be able to cover up the other deficiencies. And without him it makes us go right back to where we were last year. And I think yeah. that was exposed yesterday. I mean, with seven sacks and even more pressures, it's tough for any quarterback, much like much less Kirk Cousins, to be able to be productive. So yeah. the point is, you have Chris, someone like Christian Derrissaw, you have someone like Dalvin Tomlinson. I think he was severely missed in a game like this. Um, and uh, even a Caleb Evans and uh, Cam Dantzler, uh, we were struggling at cornerback, and those simply were exposed. So, um, you know, when you take away some of those elite pieces, everything starts to... Uh, digress down to the median i i think if you were dozing in and out of this game watching it and you know Mm -hmm. you woke up and it was i can't remember exactly how it went but you know seven nothing 14 nothing or you know and you you were like you would wake up and it was like it's 20 to 3 now it's 27 to 3 now it's i think that you're gonna feel worse about the team than if you watch this thing from beginning to end yep i don't think you're gonna feel as bad about it and that might sound counterintuitive to a certain degree, but I think if you watch this and then if you go back and analyze it, you hit the nail on the head of what the, of the main problem was, the, the whole Derrissaw situation and pass yep. pro and how Cousins responds to that. So this is mm-hmm. a significant problem, mm-hmm. but at least you know what it is. Mm-hmm. And now you can get to work on alleviating the issue. Okay, so to me, that's the silver lining here. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if you're like the Houston Texans, like I, I saw a quote from Lovey Smith, and he's like, oh, we're not a very good team right now, and we're searching for answers. It's like, well, I, I mean, I think we were already kind of writing the Texans off for the season, but like, if you weren't, now you should. I mean, yeah. the head coach just said, we're not yeah. very good, and we're searching for why. So yeah. that's not where the Vikings are. So, I mean, you lose no. 40 to three, which is the most lopsided loss in the NFL this season. And it's like the most yards the Vikings have given up while not getting to 200 themselves since the uh, 2000 title game against the Giants. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a loss of not historic proportions. Let's not get too extreme here, but this is a loss of extreme proportions. But and it doesn't come down to just losing Derrissaw. There is a lot of other, other things that went wrong. But that's the that was the leverage point for the Cowboys. And in the second half, Giles, I mean, Cousins didn't have a chance. I mean, the most pointed, harshest, harshest critic of Kirk Cousins cannot sit there and say this was about Kirk Cousins. This was not about Kirk Cousins. And the strip fumble on the first series of the game was was a bad omen for what was to come. And that that's on Cousins for ball security. But after that, it's just like this was a Darisaw pass protection thing. The only thing I will say is. 
and we've talked about this and we talked about this with Dave Ross early on when we had him as a guest on the Wobcast 2.0 and it's my house is on fire analogy with cousins where it's like he's not the guy that you want operating with the house on fire or running back into the house to get your your valued possessions or the people you love you don't want that that's not the game plan no if you have a Maserati that runs perfectly and has a great engine and the road's clear cousins will be perfect and efficient and sensational. And eight and one. <laughs> yes, and he'll be eight and one for you. Yeah, yep. exactly right. But if there's a traffic, you know, uh, the analogies are tired now, but yep. you know what I'm saying. So yep. um, he needs to be better about that, but the team yep. needs to play better around him. Yep. And honestly, this may be a hot take, but I think our team may have performed better had Derisaw just been ruled out for this game because I think we were planning on using Derisaw like plain old Derisaw. And then yeah. when he went out and what it was, the, the sixth play of the game, we weren't prepared to play uh, Blake Brandell. So then we had to change our protections on the fly, which obviously did not do uh, us any favors in pass protection. Yeah. But furthermore, uh, it really had a lot uh, of an impact when it came to penalties. So I would mm -hmm. say, you know, we were getting sacked left right from tuesday and that set us back and then when we weren't getting sacked we got pretty severe penalties so then we found ourselves in third and 20 or more way too much and yeah. most quarterbacks aren't going to be able to convert that i mean yeah. even the patrick mahomes and the tom brady's aren't going to convert at a well at a great percentage with those so right. i think we just simply stuck ourselves in the foot and the times that we did try to overcome that we had drops i think tj hawkinson love him i think he's going to be a great piece of our offense but there was like two or three touchdown passes that he that he dropped plain yeah. and simple he dropped and yeah. i think had you caught those i think that would have shifted the momentum of this game yeah. um where you know uh, you're, you're trying to leverage your time uh and that simply didn't happen so yeah. uh the derisaw thing was a bad problem but then we let it compound so i'm hoping in the four short days that we have that we can try to fix that protection issue uh when it comes to the patriots next week but yep and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that giles and i will about about what this performance might mean for that game against new england and derisaw's status and he's out and what that's going to mean um so we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit but before we do that two things i want to hit on here uh, one will do second, and that's the NFC and the landscape and where we sit mm -hmm. now. But um, the first is just on an individual basis, Giles, the PFF data is not out yet, um, but you have a, um, a trained eye. So you may be able to foresee what the data is going to show or guess what the data is going to show. Yep. Um, and you may have done some studying of your own. But let, let's look at a few individuals. Mm -hmm. I thought, and you can take this where you want to take it, and I'll comment after you speak on it. But Zadarius Smith, I thought, um, wasn't very noticeable. Mm -hmm. um, why that is, we'll find out once we watch more, but you might have some thoughts there. Obviously, the two guards and the left tackle, Brandell was awful, and the two guards mm -hmm. were no good. So mm -hmm. I can't imagine they're going to grade out very well. And, um, you know, I, I don't – we already talked about Cousins, but you're, you're not going to – there are going to be times when you're getting pressured and rushed and all that, and you got to perform in the face of that. And he didn't. Yeah. So I have to imagine he's not going to grade, grade out very well either. And I don't know who would grade out well. So I, I don't even really want to go down that road. But if we stick in the trenches with Zedarius, the two guards, Brandell and Cousins, I can't, those guys I can't imagine are going to grade out very well. And I, I want to know if you saw anything different, maybe. Uh, this is a hot take, and like you said, the PFF grades haven't come out yet, so I might be proven completely wrong with this, but this is one of those games where I think 75% of our offensive roster could grade out lower than the bottom three of last week. Uh, this was a horrible game, and we let things compound. The yeah. only player that I thought uh, performed 
somewhat okay was Dalvin Cook. And even okay. in that, we couldn't really get our, gun, our run game going very well. But I think part of that is offensive line. Uh, but it was the only piece that wasn't completely shut out. Even Justin Jefferson, what does he have? Three catches. Um, yeah. That was a much different game than uh, than comparison to the Buffalo Bills. So I think there's definitely an issue there. Um yeah, I mean, uh, that's at least on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, defensively, Zedarius Smith, I think there's a chance that he may have been dealing with that lingering knee issue and just wanted to play because he knew how important this game was. But I think um, when you put all those things together, they're definitely a power-running team, the, the Cowboys yeah. are. Yeah. And I think we had an issue with that, especially not having Dalvin Tomlinson. So a lot of the other players had to step up and try to try to figure out how to uh, compensate for that. So that did not do well. Uh, our cornerback room definitely struggled. Uh, even the announcers were calling out Andrew Booth Jr. and how he was getting yeah. picked apart. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's too early to tell if he's going to be a complete bust, but uh, I hope that we can uh, do some, some uh, learnings with him to help him improve because if he has to continue starting week over week, I think that will be continuously an issue because I thought before we were at least in an average uh, secondary. We weren't a complete train wreck. We weren't performing well, to be very clear, but we weren't a complete train wreck. And I think with enhanced pressure be- between Hunter and Zedaria Smith, I thought that was able to keep our, uh, at least our scoring defense in a reasonable category. Um, mm-hmm. But with both of those kind of struggling, that is where you see the the, the doors fly off. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, you know, as Guile said, the PFF data did not come out uh, yet or before we started recording. It will here shortly, probably. Um, probably before the day is over. And and for those of you who missed it last week, uh, we have been using our social media platforms to sort of push some extra content out. So we did a fun quarterback rankings last week, which generated some conversation. Um, and, and we push out those PFF grades. So make sure you stay tuned to our social media handles uh, for that information and to continue the conversation about some of those players because uh, we enjoy doing that. Um, but for now, we'll have to table that that data and PFF and the grids discussion. I think we can all agree though, that uh, there's a lot of needs to be improved uh, data uh, from, from that Cowboys game. And, and a lot of times guys in a really lopsided loss like that, it's like, Hey guys, you know, the way you kind of keep morale up is you're just like, let's just get rid of that one. Let's throw that one out. And, and yep. I think there's some validity to that here because yep. that, you know, you, you've got such a good record and, and you're going where you're going, which is which is great places here this year. You, you don't want to l- let that loss linger. You want to digest it as soon as you can, especially with a Thursday night game, right? Mm-hmm. I completely um, agree. But you can't can't ignore uh, what the main problems were, and I think we've sort of chronicled what they are, and I think everyone could see it. You know, I don't think you need to be Bill Walsh uh, to figure out what what the issue was there yeah. in that game. Um, yeah, it's disappointing yeah. it happened at home, um, but it did, and now you got two two more uh, home games in a row here to try and right the ship. And we're going to talk about that Patriots matchup here in a few minutes, but first a look around the NFC guys, um, you know, that loss coming to Dallas is a lot better than if that would have been to like Tampa or Seattle uh, mm-hmm. because Philly and Dallas can't both jump over the Vikings for playoff seating. Only one of yep. them can because the yep. Vikings will win the NFC North um, and, and only one of Philly or Dallas can. So, so Dallas winning that game over the Vikings really is only consequential in a playoff standpoint. If Dallas ends up winning the division, mm-hmm. uh, they're two games behind the Eagles right now. So from an mm-hmm. NFC standpoint, the Vikings are not, not hurt all that much by this loss. Um, no loss is good um, when you lose in the conference, but you know, they're eight and two, they're going to win the division. They're still in line for the two seed. Uh, Tampa did win their most recent game. Um, and, but they're still three games behind the Vikings. 
the Seahawks lost their most recent game and they're two games behind the Vikings. So mm-hmm. Vikings still in good shape there. Uh, with that being said, uh, they want to get back on the winning track. They have two AFC games coming up, the Patriots on Thursday and the Jets the week after that. Looking at the schedule, though, Giles, before we get into the Patriots game, um, a couple of things have changed here, um, I think, about the teams the Vikings play that mm-hmm. make me feel not as confident about how how easy um, some of these games are going to be. And although they lost this week, one of those is the Colts. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the Colts are a pushover even at U.S. Bank Stadium. And we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the Colts on the Wobcast 2.0 but they were on TV here in Minnesota. So Vikings fans who had some extra time yesterday and could watch some football, watched a Colts team push the Eagles to the brink and almost beat them. And I think the Colts have some physicality to them. Mm -hmm. I think they've got some savvy at quarterback and I think they've got an elite weapon in uh, Jonathan Taylor. And so this is going to be a good battle, I think, in in a few weeks at U.S. Bank Stadium. Yep, especially after hitting the reset button on the coach. I think most teams will always corral together and say, we're going to show the world that now that we've gotten rid of the poison, so to speak, it's not us that was the problem, it was them. We're going to try a little bit harder to prove to the world that we are uh, worthy of being in the conversation. So I completely agree. Those are not going to be pushover games, Um, nor will the Jets or the Patriots for that matter, because I think the Jets really got a shellacking this week um, where I think they're going to set out with something to prove. I know there's some internal uh, tension there over there. They have a great defense. That's going to be a tough game. Um, Anytime you're playing Belichick, that'll be a tough game. I uh, I think I'm going to eat my words when it comes to the Chicago Bears. I thought they were going to be the the worst team in the league. Me too. Me too. They're not. They're not great necessarily, but yeah. they're not a pushover team either. So I think going there on the road will be another tough challenge. As with the Detroit Lions, they're not. They're not going away easily. Yep. They've won three straight. They just beat the yep. Giants. And yep. <laughs> before before this week, I would have said, "Hey, that Giants game at home. You know that that's a tough game." Well, the Lions just beat them yep. in New York. I, I believe it was in. Yeah, it was in New York. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, the Vikings closed the season at Green Bay and then at Chicago. Uh, before that, though, they're they have five out of six at home. The Vikings have to make some hay here if they want to stay um, stay in line with the Eagles and have a chance to jump over them, or if they want to fend off whoever might be the three seed yeah. uh, late in the season. That um, will start on Thursday night against the New England Patriots. So let's get into that a little bit here, Giles. Yeah. To me, this is a pretty important game for the Vikings. It's not make or break. It's not oh we're going to find out what they're made of in this game. It's not that. Um, but it's important because we're going to see this staff's ability to play chess against an elite coach and staff who mm-hmm. has been gifted. The Patriots have been gifted a very wide avenue to victory. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's a short road or a, a short week and they're on the road, mm-hmm. that's working against the Patriots. But this is no Derisaw for the Vikings. I mean, this is like playing the Falcons 15, 10 years ago without Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. No, this is playing the Vikings without Adrian Peterson in 2010 or nine, right? Like it's this a is a problem. Task. Yes. Yeah. This is a problem for the Vikings. And I am sure Kevin O'Connell has some experience. I don't know if Andrew Whitworth missed any games for the Rams last year. Um, when O'Connell was with Washington, I don't know if Trent mm-hmm. Williams missed a bunch of games cause he was their left tackle there for a while, mm-hmm. but this is like that. This is yep. so, so Kevin O'Connell has to get together with his staff and figure out a way around this. Yep. Um, and the Vikings 
run the risk of being fairly predictable here with their protections. And everyone, mm -hmm. when you hear predictability, it's about play calling and run pass and <clears throat> who you're going to target. Well, teams really game plan for how you protect against certain pressure looks. Yep. And so the Patriots will have the Vikings protection figured out already. They don't even have to go through a couple series. They know it's sliding to the left side, to the tackle, and or the tight end and back are going to be over there chipping. And that is going to give the Patriots a big advantage. Now, the Vikings know that. The Vikings know that the Patriots know what they're doing. So let's see what O'Connell and company can spin up yep. to sort of try and counter that. I'm very yep. interested to see how all, all of that unfolds. To me, that's the number one storyline in this game. I could not agree more. I think even when you take it from a, a much more macro level, I've viewed Kevin O'Connell through whatever this is, uh, week 12, uh, that he is a great game planner. He comes yeah. very prepared. And Agreed. I think if you're trying to find the silver linings of last week or yesterday, um, is that now it's going to force them to reevaluate. Because anytime after you you win and uh, you still have some issues, but you win, it's easier to say, oh, that's an issue, but we're still finding a way to win, so it's not as important. Versus when you got trucked yesterday, it really forces you to say, all right, this was an issue before, but now it's really an issue, especially yeah. if we can't operate with Derisaw for at least a week or two. Um, I'm interested to see how he game plans for that. I think that's yeah. where the rubber will really meet the road. If they come in and play toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I will respect uh, Kevin O'Connell even more that he was able to find a way to paper over that schematically. Yeah. Um, because I think had you not lost this past game, uh, I think you would have had a different scenario here because it forces them to recognize those things. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Good point. Um, a couple of other um, matchups in this game that I want to talk about and get your perspective on. Um, special teams, Giles, I think is sort of um, is an always underrated facet of the game. Mm -hmm. But the Patriots are typically very sound on special mm -hmm. teams. Yep. And if you watched, they won the game last week on a special teams play. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I think you got to be careful there uh, with the kicker, uh, with the return game. And yep. so on a short week, especially anything that Belichick's got stashed away for special use uh, for a surprise or something he might know about one of your special teams players that he thinks he can expose. You got to be mm -hmm. careful here on a short week. Because that and, can really destroy you. Yeah. And so when you've looked at the data and the PFF grades, is there anything glaring to you that is like, you know what, we better watch out for this? Or, you know what, this guy's not been playing great all year. Uh, Belichick might be targeting him. That's a great question. I think, uh, well, first on the Patriots uh, uh, side of the ball, I forget how, exactly how you pronounce his name. Matt Judon. Is that how yeah. you pronounce it? Number nine. He is number Judon. one in sacks right now. He is yeah. like four sacks ahead of everybody else. He is a force to be reckoned with. And yeah. you have to believe that they're going to move him around the defensive line uh, to go attack our weak points. And yep. especially if Ezra Cleveland can't play, play our entire left side is going to be uh, at issue. Now there's a yep. chance they'll elevate Chris Reed to play left guard. He played very well when he played for the Colts, you know, behind Quilton yeah. Nelson. So maybe that yeah. can be a, a blessing in disguise. Uh, but that's going to be a very, very tough matchup. And I think uh, I'm excited to see how both coaches go head to head. I think one thing on the coach's side of the fence that I think people aren't talking about is that Kevin O'Connell played for Belichick. Yeah. He was a quarterback with him for a year or two underneath Brady, and yeah. he understands how that room operates. So I think that's going to give us 
at least an element of uh, of wit behind us where we can actually go toe to toe. If we can, I think it'll be partially because of that. Because Kevin O'Connell is obviously very intelligent, and uh, if he can go play the the appropriate chess match with him, that might give us an opportunity. I think uh, this is a game where I think you might see a little bit more creativity potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like last week uh, was the first time that CJ Ham had been used in weeks and weeks and weeks. I think this is a game where they might throw out a wrinkle or two that they maybe sure. historically would have been saving till the end of the season because at the end of the day they're trying to throw throw some fresh looks at uh at teams and there's also i believe things that they're waiting towards the end of the season so they can't get figured out i think in order to preserve our positioning for the number one seed or at least not lose the opportunity for number one seed i think they're going to start looking into that so um I think this is a big CJ Ham game, honestly. I think that'll be a wrinkle there. Um, I don't think CJ or uh, TJ Hawkinson rather uh, will have a very big game, at least from a pass uh, receiving yeah. standpoint. I think he's going to be required to chip in order to give Kirk enough time. Um, I think uh, Justin Jefferson, I think, is going to go off. I think historically, uh, uh, Belichick has been the guy to say, I'm not going to put my number one uh, cornerback on the best receiver. I'm going to put that person on a different person, then I'm going to double up the best receiver. So I'm going to mm-hmm. take my best, second best cornerback and maybe a safety. But I think Justin Jefferson is going to be very frustrated after yesterday and is going to figure out a way to to shut them down. And I think going into that, knowing how Belichick works, I think they're going to be able to expose that. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm excited to see that unfold then. Um, yeah. Because th- that's an interesting way to look at it, Giles. Uh, because but the, the thing Belichick's known for is taking what you do best away, right? Yep. Taking away mm-hmm. what you do best. Uh, yep. That's obviously Jefferson. Uh, but, but you're saying maybe it won't go that way. Maybe they can't really control that. Um, and so it's like, we're going to give you, we're not going to give you that, but you might get that over there, but you're getting nothing else. Yep. So is that enough to win this game on its own? That'll be interesting yeah. to see how that goes. Agreed. My concern, um, if, if this, if we were Patriots people, my concern here would be, I, I just, not that the Vikings are a defensive stalwart here, but they're not, they're also not embarrassing on defense and mm-hmm. at home they're, you know, that, that's a hard place to go and move the ball, uh, U.S. Bank mm-hmm. Stadium. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Cowboys had no trouble with it. Most teams don't have that easy of a time. Yep. The Patriots are not an explosive, productive team anyway. And, yep. and so all these advantages that we think New England has because of some injuries and Belichick, yep. where I don't think the Patriots have great answers is, is on offense and moving the ball. Yep. And Agreed. If it's one of those deals where the Vikings start scoring some points and they get a cheap one, a cheap touchdown or a good, and then a good touchdown and then a field goal. And it's like, they got 17 points at halftime. Mm-hmm. Patriots are in trouble there. This has got to be 10 to three or seven to seven at halftime. Like, cause yep. I just don't see, and it's not that I don't like Mac Jones. I think he's okay. I like uh, Stevenson, the running back. I think he's all right. Mm-hmm. But I just don't see the Patriots going up and down the field here. Yeah, and so scares you. Yeah. And so I think yep. that's a problem for New England is yep. what is your identity on offense? And can you move the ball in a hurry if you have to? Yep. Where I think the silver lining is for them, and I, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on this now, but also what does the PFF data show? I thought Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard had a pretty easy time running it. So Stevenson and Harris, the Patriots backs are on their game. And if the blocking is pretty sound, that could be salvation for new England. Um, Other than that, 
I just don't see Mac Jones marching up and down the field, you know, throwing passes against the Vikings. A hundred percent. And I think another low key subject that has not been talked about a lot right now is mm-hmm. that Minnesota fans are from Minnesota. And I yes. think uh, we uh, get really high on highs and low on lows. And I think yeah. that was partially what contributed to such a massive trucking yesterday is that we very early on screwed up. And I wasn't there at the stadium, but I would venture to say that things got real quiet real quick. And yep. then I think that competitive advantage that you go into the the, the game with in terms of the loudness of UX Bank, US Bank Stadium and the, the yeah. all-encompassing environment, that goes away when we start to suck. And I think <laughs> if you can have some early success, I think you maintain that momentum versus if you screw up early on, I think you're going to shut up a lot of the fans and now you lose that competitive advantage. For sure. And I said this to one of my friends who's still with the team, uh, who was at the game obviously yesterday. I said, I know how that building can get, that building can be electric. And you know, Jim Nance said a lot of nice things about US Bank Stadium from a structural and ar- um, architectural standpoint. And he's right, yep. it is beautiful. But part of the allure and part of the advantage of that building, Giles, is mm-hmm. the, the crowd and how loud they get. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, it's the people behind the scenes at the Vikings who put the programming on before the game to get people pumped up and during the game with some of the, the sound prompts and the noise mm-hmm. prompts. All that plays into it. And people mm-hmm. listening may not have an appreciation for that, especially after losing 40 to 3. But that's part of why that building is so loud. I've been to lots of big, beautiful stadiums with 80,000 people in it, and you can hear a pin drop. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Atlanta <laughs> is not loud. It's a yep. great stadium. It's not yep. loud there. It's never yep. loud there. I've heard LA is not loud. I heard that that's a beautiful stadium and it's not loud in there. So um, it's not about just being big and bold and beautiful for stadiums. It's about what what can you do to make it loud and to make it an advantage. And the Vikings mm-hmm. are great at that. With that being said, after that strip sack of Cousins by Micah Parsons, I heard the Cowboys fans cheering. And I didn't hear much noise after that, to your point. You know, so yeah. you're right. Uh, that thing snowballed and it was quiet in there. It cannot be like that on Thursday night against the Patriots. And I don't think it will because I don't think the Patriots are going to jump out that fast. Um, But um, I am going to go, I'll be at that game. And um, there are some things I just cannot wait um, to, to see. And one of my favorite NFL analysts is a guy named Pat Kerwin. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. I heard of Pat. Yep. 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 Former uh, New York jets executive now hosts a show on Sirius NFL radio. I know you know that, but for those who don't know, that's what he does. And he wrote a book about football and it's called, um, I think it's take your eye off the ball. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm going to do a lot of that um, on Thursday night is I'm not just going to be watching the ball. There are so many things I can't wait to see how O'Connell and Belichick go at each other. You mm-hmm. know, the left tackle situation for the Vikings is one of them. Is it just Matthew Judon against Brandell one-on-one? Mm-hmm. What are the Vikings going to do? It's some special teams things that I saw in the Patriots jets game yesterday and that I'm curious about with the Vikings um, and lots of other things. So I'm very excited for this. I think it being a short week sort of enhances this for some, some football hardos. I think Mm -hmm. this enhances it, you know, because it makes, it it puts even more emphasis on this, this, this strategy, Mm -hmm. right. And the fact that it's a short week and um, you got to do stuff and you got to get it done fast. And, Mm -hmm it's going to favor the prepared. And it's that, that whole, that whole idiom where if you stay prepared, you don't have to get prepared. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think Belichick is that way. And my sense is O'Connell is, I do not think the Vikings are going to get embarrassed against the Patriots on Thursday night, but I can't wait to see what happens. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, a lot of people in the Vikings organization have a healthy ego where they will not allow themselves to get trucked a second time in a row. They're going to come super prepared. Um, even if they lose, I think it'll at least be a game because both team have, both teams have deficiencies. And more importantly, both coaches are master chess makers. So I yeah. think uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see how they go prepare. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, and it's going to be a fun slate of games on Thursday. The Vikings and Patriots are the nightcap. And then uh, and then they uh, a semi-full slate of games on Sunday uh, for the NFL as we sort of starting to get the rubber meet the road time here, Giles. You know, Belichick always says nothing matters till after Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is Thursday, so everything is going to start to matter now, right? Yep. I mean, this is, um, this is nut cutting time, and the Vikings still in a strong position. Um, here as the NF as the uh, the NFL season gets down to I won't say the home stretch but they're kind of re- we're turning for home here yeah we're turning for home as we get to the back half of the season and um, a lot of big fun games for the Vikings coming up and it will all start with the Vikings and the Patriots on Thursday night at U.S. Bank Stadium after a really fun holiday Thanksgiving got to be way up there in the holiday power rankings top three probably holiday I would think on the calendar. We get to cap it off with some football Vikings and Patriots. So that's going to be fun. Um, we're doing a lot more guiles on social. Um, so we encourage people to check that out. What are some things that people can look forward to um, as they follow us on social? And what's the best way for folks to follow that other than at Wabi on Twitter? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, Instagram's a big one. We're doing a lot more posts uh, related to uh, different insights uh, regarding the team. Now, before yesterday, uh, we highlighted that uh, we had the number one rated left tackle in Christian Dirasa, which is awesome. But also, more importantly, we also had the number one edge rusher in pressures. So on both sides of that ball, people that typically square off against each other, we had number one in both categories. You have a um, an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. And yeah. I think that is so awesome. I don't think uh, many teams teams can say that they have number one in both categories. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, uh, Darius uh, um, was out yesterday, but uh, when you get him back, those are two very powerful combinations um, if you're trying to go chase the Super Bowl. So yeah. um, super, super exciting. But we're posting little interesting tidbits like that if you want to give us a follow on Instagram. Uh, and uh, we have more exciting stuff here uh, coming soon. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a fun week for fodder because it all happens so fast. And then the game is here on Thursday, right? So yeah. um get on there, get on social, follow us, uh, interact with us, continue the conversation. We'd love to engage with you. Um, also you can find the Wobcast if you're not a subscriber on the same place, you find all the other podcasts you subscribe to. So Apple podcasts, Google play, Spotify. You can also catch us on YouTube at Wobby on Twitter, the real at gmail.com. If you want an email submission to give us some content ideas or to ask a question. We'll do a better job of, uh, of monitoring that inbox uh, to incorporate some of that content into the show as well. But uh, that's going to do it for episode 11 of the Wobcast 2.0. My thanks to Giles and to executive producer Chase Conradi. We encourage you all, as we said, to subscribe, like, and follow the Wobcast 2.0 on all your favorite social media platforms. For Giles, I'm Wobby signing off for now. Vikings Patriots Thursday night to cap Thanksgiving. Let's see if we can get back on the winning track. Adios.